0: going to be beginning a new sermon series this morning called love your dot 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 and over the next five or six weeks we're going to be filling in kind of the last part of that statement we're going to talk about how to love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and strength as we're encouraged in scripture how to love your neighbor as yourself how to love one another how to love the other Uh, how to love your city we're going to be looking at all of that and uh, really discovering practical ways for us to partner with the Spirit of God to be a part of His love and His move in the community around us. But before we do that, we really need to land on what, what it looks like to love uh, and really where, where do we receive that? How do we access, uh, access that and, and then really live from that uh, in our lives? And so we're going to do that this morning as far as just setting a foundation for the next several weeks um, for us to walk through this in a really practical way. Uh, my f- freshman, sophomore year of college, uh, I was going to a junior college in Southern California. So I was taking classes full time, but I was also, I was also working full time, and I was working full time as an electrician. Uh, so I was a, a, a Sparky. I was learning that trade. I did mostly residential work, uh, but I did some commercial. And I worked for a boss who was very, very particular. And I don't know if you've ever worked for an employer or if you had a teammate or you were a part of a, a, a team where somebody had the way that it was to be done and all other ways were to be shunned, right? Their, their way was the only way. It was the right way and everybody else was wrong. Uh, maybe that's been your experience. Maybe you're that personality, right? Maybe you're married to that spouse or you have that firstborn child like that. But uh, when, when I worked for him, he was very, very particular about uh, every aspect of the job, including the direction that the line in the flathead screw of the switch plate was oriented. Okay, So if, if we were putting plugs and switches in a home and we were putting on the switch plates, things that you wouldn't even think about. Right? The plate that's covering the switch, you just want to know where it is and the light turns on. No, where the plate is and the center screw with it, the screw with the kind of the flat head line in it, had to be vertical, up and down. Okay? If that was the case, it was correct. Okay, that was an indicator that the workmanship and the craftsmanship of everything hidden in the walls, that it was done well, and it was the only way that we did it. And if we went into a residence, if we went into a place, and let's say uh, they oriented the screw this direction, okay, it was like they're well-meaning, they gave it their best effort, but we should probably look into this, right? Because that is, it's a good try, but it's not quite Correct. Now, if we went into another residence and one screw was this way and one was this way and they were all willy-nilly, then you could just be assured that whoever did that job had no idea what they were talking about. They were an absolute hack is what he would call them. Oh, man, a hack did this. And there was only one way to do it. Now, really, you could do either of those. If it's all cross-eyed, it's probably in a place where it's just they tightened it until the screw was tight, and that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? I mean, there's a lot of practical ways to approach that, but for him, his perspective was it was his way was the right way, Um, and as you know, uh, it's a way, and for him, it was precise and it was correct, but it really didn't indicate whether or not things were well done in the long run. And I bring that up to you because there are a number of different ways that you and I can go about actually living our lives. There's a lot of different competing values and frameworks. There's a lot of competing uh, motivations and directions for the life that we can live. There's a number of different ways that we can seemingly approach and relate to God and seemingly approach and relate to others and the world around us. And there's all kinds of ways that that gets presented to us But when Paul is bringing about correction and redirection for the church in his letter to the the church in Corinth, he describes what he calls the most excellent way, the most excellent way. And the way that he regards this is not just this is one way that's kind of good in comparison to others or this is one thing that you can add to a number of different ways that you should approach living your life. He really lays down a gauntlet and says this is the one and only most excellent way to go about relating to God and relating to the world around you. And he moves from there to talk about the centrality of love. The centrality of love within your person and then being worked out of your person into the doing and going of your life. The way that you exact your personhood on the world around you. The most excellent way that he describes is going to be a way of first learning how to be. And then learning how to do. And we're going to look at that this morning. If you've got your Bible, I encourage you to go ahead and get that out. If you've got your smartphone or your tablet, I want to encourage you to open up your Bible app Lord, as we take time to acknowledge your word and our need for it, Lord, we ask that you would prepare our hearts. Lord, that as Jesus would describe it, that we would have ears to hear, that we would have eyes to see. Lord, that as the parable of the sower uh, uh, denoted ground that was able to take the seed of the good news in and it was going to bring fruit out in our lives. Lord, may our hearts be that way. May we be soft before you. May we be receptive to your word. May we be willing to allow it to be cultivated in our life, and may we see the fruit, Lord, in our relationship with you and in those around us, in Jesus' name, amen. We're going to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. With your Bibles out, you guys can go ahead and make your way there. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to go to the very end of that chapter and really only the second part of the latter verse in it because it's where Paul makes this statement about the excellent way and to give you a framework of where we are kind of in 1 Corinthians if you're not familiar with this with this book it was a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth he was bringing about a number of uh, corrections and kind of redirections because the way that they were going about church life The way that they were interacting with one another, the way that they were interacting with the community was out of alignment with the way that God's love should be at the center of what we're doing in our engagement with one another and with the world. And so he's bringing about a number of different corrections and redirections based on their thoughts and their presumptions, based on their values, their motivations. And then he's also correcting the activity going on both inside and outside of the church. And when you get to this chapter, chapter 12, 13, and 14, there was a way that they were going about expressing their spiritual life that was particularly out of balance in the way that they were exercising spiritual gifts and partnering with the Holy Spirit, but in a way where they were motivated by self and inflation of self and not concerned about others and not really concerned about how God would be moving in the collective group. And so he's bringing about all of this type of correction and drawing them to a place of considering others above themselves, which is a common theme of Paul in his letters to the church, and being unified in the things of the Spirit. And so when he brings ab- about kind of this, this correction and kind of drawing them to this place of unity together, in the middle of these two chapters, 12 and 14, you have this chapter 13 where he pushes pause and he says, I'm going to show you the best way to go about doing Everything. I'm going to show you the best way about going uh, going about doing life in relationship to God and relationship to others around us. And so that's where we get this, uh, this this, statement that he makes. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the second part of verse 31, he says, And now I will show you the most excellent way. That this is the way uh, of, of excellence, that this is the way that we should Uh, desire to see the things of God and the work of God done in us and through us in the way that we relate to God in worship and the world in service. And he moves from that statement of this idea of the excellent way, and then he begins like this. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal if I'm speaking to people around me or if I'm engaged in heavenly communication. If, if I don't have love at the center of that communication, then I'm just making a bunch of noise. And in fact, the resounding gong or the clanging cymbal was something that was being drawn to just kind of a religious exercise. It was something that was used in common religious ceremony at the time, particularly in temple worship. Then Paul is saying, hey, if, if we don't have love at the center of the way that we communicate in heaven and on earth, then we're just making religious noise. We're, we're just making noise. And then he moves on from there, and he says, If I have the gift of prophecy, and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. He starts moving into the ways that we can partner with the Spirit of God, that I can hear the voice of God for the people of God, but I can deliver it in a way that's unloving. And if I do that, then I don't have anything. And if I have faith that can move mountains, if I'm a person of faith and prayer, and when I pray, man, stuff starts to happen. If I don't have love, then I don't have anything. In our equipping classes, we've got a class called Moving Life's Mountains. It comes out of these types of ideas where we want to help equip people to be able to hear from the Lord and to partner with the power of God in the world around us, to pray and to see their prayers affect change and transformation, to be powerful and effective in your prayer life, as the book of James would describe it. But if you don't have love, you could take that class and still come out with nothing. So Paul's really bringing about kind of a, 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 re-correct, a redirection and a correction here. Verse 3, if I give all I possess to the poor, all right? He takes it out of kind of the spiritual and the supernatural, makes it really practical, You sell everything that you have and you give it to the poor. You are incredibly generous. You're a part of social justice and economic justice. You're looking at restoration and all of the civil and economic expressions of society. If you do all of that and you're willing even to give your body over to hardship is the way that it's pronounced here. But in an older translation, it would say that I would give my body over to the flames. It would mean that I would give my very person to martyrdom in behalf of the cause. He says, you can do all of that, and if you don't have love, you don't gain anything. It's fruitless. It's empty. And so he's drawing our attention to the centrality of love being our motivator and really the reservoir from which we draw our motivation and the effort towards the things that we do in our life. And he's beginning with this idea that if you don't already have a love in you, if, if God's love isn't a part of your being, your identity, your person, then you can be doing and exercising all kinds of commendable things on the outside that will have short-term good effect in the world around you, but you will ultimately be left with nothing. That you are nothing, that you have nothing, and at the end there's nothing to show for all of that. So he's really driving home this importance of love. And in the heart of it, he's saying you can do commendable and admirable things without having love. But to do so, whatever is the result, will be less than. There's going to be a lack. There's going to be a diminishment. We're making noise. We're empty in our persons. Our souls are thirsty and dry, and we don't have nothing to show for all of our effort in the end. And it's important to start there because most of the time when you and I think about love, we immediately start thinking about doing love. Right? I need to be more loving. I need to be more loving and patient and kind and all of those things towards my neighbor or towards my kids or towards my dog or towards my boss, right? Like there, it, I start thinking about how I'm supposed to be responding to those around me and the world around me. Maybe I should be more motivated in my love and the way that I relate to the Lord, more more uh, uh, adoring and at, more admiring, more in awe of who he is and giving him the proper place and glory due his name. Like all of those things are good, but if they come out of my own effort, if it comes out of a reservoir of a less than agape love, a less than God's love in me, then it's, it's a lesser offering, and it's going to fade. It's, it's going to end. At the end of all of that doing, if I'm doing out of anything other than God's love already resident in me, then I'm going to be empty, and the results will be empty as well. He starts with this idea of Being. And the challenge for us, especially if, if you're somebody, if you've grown up in the church, if you've got kind of a, a church or Christian or religious background, the, the challenge for us is in, is in this first place. And he's writing to the church here when he is talking to them because they, were, they, they knew intrinsically that they needed to change the way that they were acting and change the way that they were treating people around them. They knew that their behavior needed to change. But if you go about looking to change your behavior, if you're just gonna be better this week or less naughty than last week, if you go about looking to just change your behavior without it being something that's coming from uh, an identity transformation within you, then you move into duty and you move into religion, and you can actually move yourself into a bondage that doesn't have freedom and doesn't have life. So he's starting with this idea of understanding that we can be doing all the right things, but if we don't do it out of a resident love within us, they're going to prove themselves to be empty, even though they might be good in the short term and commendable in the eyes of others. And at the heart of this is this issue of being. It's an identity piece. It's an understanding who you are in Christ and where your confidence lies and where you draw from in order to be about the things of the kingdom of God in the world there's there's a, a an issue of identity at hand where he is calling them to a place to understand that the love that they live from has to be a love that is in them that it's a part of their being or it's a part of their person. And then he moves from this, right? He moves to the next verses. And if you are um, kind of a church rat like I was growing up, then you'll be familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? The love chapter it describes all of those types of things. But he moves from this idea of if you do commendable things but don't have love as the source of what you're doing, then you end up with nothing. And then he goes and he begins to describe love. He begins to describe love. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 4, it says this love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes and always perseveres and then at the very end of that if you were going to move to the next verse it would say that love never fails and he would kind of move on from there continuing his idea and expanding on drawing some other um, perspectives out of that book together as again he's he's bringing about correction and redirection but primarily when we read this description of love we start uh, filtering it through the lens of our own name have you ever done that Right? In fact, when I start reading that passage, love is patient, love is kind, and I start going through of it, some of you are like, I didn't know we were at a wedding, right? Because that's usually where you hear that passage read. You'll have people who will, who will do that. Th- this type of love, it's not talking about amorous love. It's, it's agape love. Agape love, which would be an unconditional love. It's a love that's ascribed in Scripture to God. It's actually a love that would say, it's a love that's out of your reach without God's help. It's out of your reach. It's out of your person. In fact, the only place that this can be uh, effectually and completely demonstrated is in the person, power, and the character of God. And I've been at weddings where they do this exercise where they say, love is patient, love is kind, and then they say, you know, hey, put your name in there. And it's like, I don't want to do that, right? Because Pastor Ben is patient sometimes, sometimes not. Ask my kids. Pastor Ben is kind sometimes, sometimes not. Ask my friends. Like we, we intuitively know if we put our name in there that we're going to fall short. And that's actually a good piece of self-awareness for you and I to have. But you can take the name of Jesus and put it in there and all of those things hold true. And it's a good reminder to us that as it's describing this type of love, this type of love is not something that you can find in yourself because you just kind of, You're going to try harder this week. It's not something that comes out of your good intentions. It doesn't come out of of your personhood. It's something that has to be resourced into you, into your identity from another source. It's got to come from some other place. But as it starts looking at this idea of love, it incorporates two things. It incorporates both being and doing. Being and doing. In fact, if you were to look at kind of the Greek of all of these words here that's used to describe love, every single one of them has an action-oriented response to it. They're they're all a, a doing type of thing. There is a response of actually going and putting into practice. They're all verbs in a sense. But what's really interesting is you get to the first part and it says love is patient. Love is kind, right? You've got love is there, and it seems like it's just a descriptor. But do you guys, do you guys remember the verbs that you learned when you were in, in uh, elementary school, right? Third, fourth, fifth grade. Does anybody remember the being verbs? No, you don't. Slackers, right? Do you remember the helping verbs? Right, your being verbs. Am, is, are, was, were, be, being, been. They were all verbs about being, not just doing. They were, they're being verbs. They're kind of identity indicators. Am, is, are, was, were, be, being, been. You have the helping verbs. Have, has, had, do, does, did. Shall, will, should, would, may, might, must, can, could. Come on, you guys. This is like third grade. Let's go. Quiz after church. Love is patient. There, there's a beingness. There's a being verb quality that's being ascribed to this. And you could think of it in these terms. Love does patience. Love is patient because it does patiently. Love is kind because it does kindness. And then it moves to this idea of what love is not, which is really, really helpful. Sometimes another lens for understanding what something is is to be understanding of what it is not. And so love is not these things. It's not boastful. It's not prideful. It's not rude. Love does not do boasting. Love does not puff itself up would be another rendering of that verb. Love does not dishonor. It's not rude. But in all of these things there's there's a being quality, there's a doing quality. Love doesn't do those things or love does those things because love is those things. It's kind of what's being spoken of here. And then you move on to this idea that love always, right, always protects, always trusts, always hopes. Love is always or love is consistently, love is ever doing these things because it is that it does that. And so when Paul is drawing the correction of the church, drawing their attention to this, he's saying love does these things because love is this. And so there is something about the way that we have to go and do that has to come out of what is in us. And that's why he would draw their attention to say, hey, you can do all of the right things, but do it from the wrong stuff in you, and it's not actually love. It's self-inflating, it's self-serving, and it's short-lived because it's not eternal. And so he's drawing them to this idea that love does out of what love is. And so when you and I are challenged... Right, We're going to look at this in the next coming weeks when we're challenged to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. If I'm trying to love God out of my own brokenness, my own broken reservoir of less than love, I'm not going to get that right. If I'm going to try to love people out of like my own strength, my own ability, my own intention, right? How many times have you said, you know what, this is going to be the week. Pastor, this is going to be the week. I'm going to go to work and that coworker is not going to get under my skin, cause me to respond in the way that I have been like, no, this is going to be the week. I'm going to love them to Jesus. And you make it maybe to Wednesday, right? Because you came in with the intention to change, but that person didn't change with you. Right? They didn't get the memo. They didn't know you were working on a right relationship with them. They just showed up the way that they do every Monday. And every Monday, it's a struggle for you. Neighbor, in-laws, employer, fill in the blank. See, we have good intentions where we are going to try to do the best we can. But if we're not doing out of God's love in us, it will always come up short. It will always be less than. And it's so important for us to start this series with that simple truth, because otherwise, you will be motivated, and it will be a good motivation. You you will be sincerely motivated to go out and to love people around you, but you won't have the love of God in you to do it, and so you won't do it. You won't do it well. You won't do it in a way that's long lasting. And at the end of it, you will be dry and empty, and there will be no fruit for your effort. And so, before we go and do anything, we have to receive from the Lord. Before I go and try to love even the Lord in return, scripture says that we love because he first loved us. Like, before I even try to adore the Lord, to, to, to show proper worship, like, I have to receive. Like we don't come to these relationships with the Lord or right relationships with people. We don't come on an equal partnership level. We're not we're not coming with the the same amount of capital at the beginning. You and I are bankrupt without the love of God. In 1 John chapter 4 verse 7. And I would encourage you if you've got time this week or if you kind of do a little bit of your own study, I would encourage you read 1 John chapter 4, read the whole chapter this week and just prayerfully consider that with the Lord and allow him to kind of tutor you through this. But in 1 John chapter four, starting in verse seven, John is addressing the same idea of us needing to do out of what we are. That something in us has to happen first before something out of us can be done in the world around us. He makes it a little bit more simple in his letter here than Paul does in the rest of Corinthians. But he says, dear friends, let us love one another For love comes from God. And this love word here, this is that agape word that he's using. So this isn't friendship. This isn't contractual obligation. This isn't you do your part, I'm going to do my part. This is absolute, pure, unconditional love that is only demonstrated in the person and the character of God himself. He says, let us love one another, let us agape one another, let us love one another in that way because we have received it first from God. Love comes from God. As he continues to kind of develop this out and he kind of goes back and forth between what it looks like to live that out and what it looks like to miss that mark and what that might suggest of where we are and how intimate or close we are to the Lord in those moments. It's a good exercise for us to walk through if we're being honest before the Lord. But you get to verse 16, the second part of that verse, and he makes this statement. He says, God is love. God is love. That God in his person and in his demonstration shows most completely what agape love looks like and what it does to those who receive it, who are the recipients of it. It unpacks all through here the idea that God made the first move, that he loved you when you were unlovable, that he sent Christ to die in your place when you weren't asking for help, that that God was already motivated towards you. And you can unpack all of that a little bit later, but it says God is love, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. That there is something about receiving God's love that then gets worked out in the way I live my life. And too many of us are trying to live a loving life towards our spouse, towards a difficult world, towards the challenges in our life. We're trying to, to respond in a loving way, but not out of a love that we received from God first. We're just doing it out of our own best efforts and good intentions. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. He has to be the reservoir from which we draw from. because my well runs dry. There's people and situations in my life that just, they dry me. You may be in that place right now where you're dealing with issues in your home or in your marriage, where you're dealing with issues in the workplace or you're feeling the burdens of the world around us, you're inundated every moment with the brokenness and tragedy of this world, you don't even know how to care anymore, or if you even do. You know, you and I weren't created to be inundated with brokenness to the degree that we are right now. Okay, you open your Facebook feed or you open your news feed on your phone and you just hear the next horrible thing that just happened today. And unfortunately, because of how fast information travels and how easily We are able to take it in. You right now are carrying the burdens of the whole world. Pick a country. Pick an issue. You don't have even the bandwidth to care. Because you weren't created to do that. We're so inundated with it. And then if we try to respond out of just like our own, like I should care about that, That's, that stinks. Somebody should do something, but you can't do everything. And so then we, we, we're not sure we could do anything. And then many times we resign ourselves to do no thing. And then there's moments every day where you interact with opportunities To love. To love others. To reciprocate love back to God. And in those finite moments, setting aside the weight of the whole world, if you could engage in that moment with the Spirit of God drawing out the love of God that is in you in Christ, that moment can change. And your inbox might not, And the news feed might not. The news ticker might never acknowledge. But your moment changed, and so did that of that individual. That circumstance is set on a new course. And it's in those micro moments of love that real transformation begins to be affected. Where you and I are stepping into the things of the kingdom of God and partnering With him, John chapter 4, verse 19, as John is kind of rounding out this idea, he says, We love because he first loved us. And that's where we need to pause today. That's where we need to stop. That's where we need to respond. Because there's no reason to move into a series on loving God and loving people and loving our community and loving our city, there's no reason to move into that if we don't receive the love of God first because you will have nothing to give. You will have good intentions and you will have your best efforts and those things can be good. Those things are, are helpful but they won't last and you'll be empty at the end and they'll be less than what God could have done in a genuine move of his own love in and through you. So I'm going to ask you to stand this morning, worship team, if you would come forward. We're going to take an opportunity to allow ourselves to receive God's love today. As they're making their way up here, I want you to consider a few things. You know, for some of you, your initial interaction today, your initial interaction with the Lord is going to be something where you're processing okay there's going to be ideas maybe that were presented or things about God's word that were new to you maybe you're new to a journey of faith and you haven't been walking with Jesus for very long or maybe you come out of a tradition that tells you that you just have to do and be good and that's like that's the goal it's just tried to shape your behavior but it's never spoken to the shape of your heart or the identity that you're supposed to have in Christ. And so that might be your starting point today, to just begin to consider a different way of following Jesus, a different way with partnering in His Spirit. And I would encourage you to read John, uh, 1 John Chapter 1, verse four, allow the Holy Spirit to begin to work in you. Some of you may have an answer for this question right away when I ask, what area of life do you need to receive afresh the love of Jesus? Where do you need God's love to to fill in the emptiness? Like for some of you, man, you you know exactly that area of life. You know that place in your relationship or you know that place in your interactions. You know the misalignment of your priorities. You know the, the false motivators in your life that are kind of masquerading as spirituality, but you're really just pumping yourself up. Like you know where those things are. Would you, would you allow the Lord to fill you with his love? Maybe you have an answer for this question. Where, where are you challenged to respond to others in a loving way? Some of you would have to give pause to think about that. You'd have to like really consider like, Lord, search my heart. Is there something out of alignment? For some of you, you have a face right now when I say that, you have a name right now. Maybe even a list of them. Because even though Paul would say love keeps no records of wrong, you've got a list. And it's going to take a move of God in your life to begin to shape a different perspective, to shape a future of hope when you've got offense and hurt and brokenness that you have to overcome. And that's not to say that you just raise your hand today and tomorrow's different, because you can go in tomorrow and want to live like heaven on earth, but hell is still the situation that you're walking into. That's the reality oftentimes of our Monday to Saturday. But could you walk in tomorrow with the love of God in you? Saying, all right, God, I'm going to receive all of your love for me, and then let's see if we can get any of that out for somebody else this week. But if it doesn't come in, it's not going to go out. You can't give what you don't have. Listen to me, you cannot give what you don't have. You cannot love a broken world unless you've received the love of God for your own brokenness. You can't forgive others unless you've received God's forgiveness for you. You can't extend wholeness to others unless you have begun to address the brokenness in your own life. You can't give what you don't have. So Lord, we come to you today and we acknowledge that you are the only place that we can go. Lord, that you are really the, the only option, the only source for agape love, unconditional love. And Lord, everything else that we try to do apart from that may be well-intended and even our best efforts, but it's, it's less than, it's, it falls short. And Lord, we've lived that way in different moments in our life. We pursued that in different things in our life. Lord, we're at the end, we feel like we're just making noise and we're empty and we're left with nothing. And so, Lord, would you fill us with your love today? Lord, would there be a a change in our being, a change in our identity that we would recognize in Christ? We have received the fullness of your agape love. And Lord, out of that security in our being, may we begin to do. But Lord, we receive from you today. Lord, for hearts who need to be filled afresh with your love, do that today. Lord, for people who are being challenged to respond in a loving way to those around them, Lord, would you fill them with your love and then lead them to respond from it? Lord, would you draw us to a place where we would be secure in our identity in Christ first, receiving the fullness of your love, and then we would go and align the doing and going of our life with that truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to give you three simple action steps, just three reminders for this week as you process this and kind of walk through uh, your next steps with the Holy Spirit. Number one is just be reminded this simple truth that, that God loves you. And that might be a place where you are primarily wrestling right now, and that's okay, but be, begin to wrestle that out and come to the conclusion that God does love you. As you become more aware of that in an area of your life or in the whole of your person, Begin to open yourself up to receive God's love. Be, Be open to receive that. And as you receive that, begin to live from that. Share that love with others around you this week.